Welcome back to Our Maryland's Politics and Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany. This week, we were able to sit down with Delegate Luke Klippinger, who is the sponsor of the paid sick leave legislation that was passed by the legislature this past session and later vetoed by Governor Larry Hogan. We join him now to hear more about the fight for paid sick leave and what the legislature will be looking forward to in the upcoming session. So thank you, Delegate, so much for joining us today. Sure. Um, And just to kind of get us started here, can you give us a little bit of context about the state of paid sick leave in Maryland? Well, the House and the Senate passed uh, HB1, the earned sick leave bill that would provide uh, sick leave for almost 700,000 Marylanders. Um, The House passed it with 88 votes. The Senate passed it with 29 votes. Um, The governor uh, vetoed the legislation uh, back, I think, in uh, May. And um, it'll be up to us to decide whether to override his veto in January when the legislature returns here to Annapolis for the 2018 session. You need 85 votes in the House to be able to override a veto, and you need 29 votes in the Senate. So you need both. And so we're working very hard to make sure we have all of those votes together. And you mentioned that this bill would affect some 700,000 Marylanders. What exactly would HB1 entail for those 700,000 people? So if they worked at a business that had 15 or more employees, and they worked at least 12 hours a week, they would be able to earn one hour of sick leave for every 30 hours that they worked. So the critical group of people who this helps are are people who are working part-time jobs, and in many cases are the working poor who are are working in multiple part-time jobs. Um, This bill would directly help them be able to build up up to five days of sick leave a year that they could use for themselves or their families um, and give them the the ability to not have to choose between their job and uh, taking care of themselves or their kids. Well, and you mentioned that this bill specifically would aid part-time employees. With the way things are in terms of paid sick leave in Maryland, are there groups that are being disproportionately affected by the lack of paid sick leave? I think that one of the bigger groups of people who who uh, fall into the category of people who'd be helped would certainly be restaurant workers. I, I mean, there those those that uh, community. I guess, generally speaking, they don't always get forty hours a week. They don't always get thirty hours a week. They're, that's where we tend to see people working multiple jobs in order to make ends meet, and and they are the ones at greatest risk of not only, frankly, uh, of uh, not only having sickly for themselves, but but also putting others at risk as they're working in the food industry. Uh, they can share those illnesses if they have to show up to work sick because they need the job. They're, they're going to be likely to pass on what they have to other people. So there's a public health side to this, too. The other the other important thing, though, is that this actually is has being shown to have a positive effect on business to some extent because what we found out was that businesses who uh, um, have to keep replacing workers, they see a cost in retraining, in, in doing all of the work that has to happen to get those workers back uh, or, or get a new worker trained. It, it, it's about 20% of the salary that they were paying. So if you're able to hold on to employees, train that employee just the once, and hold on to them for a longer period of time, it saves the business money in, in, in the longer 
term. And it also uh, it makes for happier workers, and happier workers are more productive workers, and that's better for business in the long run. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned the support that the bill had gained in the previous session um, had been passed in both chambers and later vetoed by the governor. So aside from the governor's lack of support, are there any obstacles that you're seeing to being able to override the veto next session? Well, I mean, there are certainly groups who, who have worked very hard against the legislation. Certainly uh, now the governor uh, being lead among those um, opposing uh, this legislation and, and indicating that he wanted to, to think about a new potential bill. Um, he, he indicated he wanted to do a study of some kind to, to, to study sick leave. We, we've been working on this for five years. Um, and I think that talking about obstacles, I believe that the governor is putting this up as an obstacle. I think the governor is unequivocally uh, trying to, to slow down this bill to the best of his ability, obviously through the veto, but he, he now wants us to go back to the drawing board and try again. It didn't stop him from putting in a bill last year, though, and he didn't need a, a, a study group or anything else. He put in a bill um, in a 2017 session that would have basically left, uh, not required Under Armour to provide sick leave, except in certain examples. Um, he, I, I think he is certainly one of the biggest obstacles to this. To, to this bill passing. And it's a shame because the vast majority of Marylanders support this. Absolutely. And and that that is uh, something that we're going to be repeating over and over again in the days and weeks to come. And you touched on this, but can you say a little bit more about the commission on paid sick leave that Governor Hogan has formed? I, I really don't know much about it. I haven't been invited to any of those meetings. Um, I don't know that they've met. Um, I, I, I think it was a, a convenient thing to do so uh, for him to say he was going to do. Mm-hmm. But, but at the end of the day, we have a good bill. And, and we have a bill that should be able to, to uh, override his veto. And, and we're going to work very hard to make sure that it does. Absolutely. We're joined now by Karen York, the Executive Director of the Job Opportunities Task Force, one of the driving forces behind Earned Sick Leave. Karen, thanks for taking the time to talk about this issue. Thank you so much for having me. So, sick leave has generated a lot of attention this year, but it took years to get the bill through the legislature and on the governor's desk. So, can you give our listeners a sense of the work that's been put into this issue over the past five years? Yes, so a lot of work has been put into this effort over the past five years. Um, If you really uh, look at the Paid Sick Days campaign in Maryland from beginning to end, um, you'll see that on the front end, uh, you know, the first year or two was really focused on educating not just policymakers, but business leaders and just residents of the state of Maryland on what the current policies are in the state of Maryland in terms of what happens if you get sick or if a family member gets sick and, and what impact that'll have on your ability to keep and maintain employment, um, what other states and localities are doing, um, and then also just the fairness and the justice surrounding the issue of paid sick days. So really bringing folks up to speed in the beginning on why this is an issue, why this is a challenge, why Maryland um, should insert itself into the 
um, into the realm of you know paid sick days. Um, and so that was the first two years. The remaining years, once it caught on that, wait a minute, um, you know, almost every industrialized nation in the, uh, in the world provides access to paid sick days or earned sick days. Um, you know, this is something that's like a no-brainer to other countries. Um, you know, why is this something in the land of the free, right? Um, why is this something that we're struggling to wrap our heads around? Absolutely. And so once we reached that point, uh, you found that um, all of a sudden the popularity around this issue shot through the roof. Um, and so then you started to see a lot of policymakers being very responsive to their constituents and, and coming on board in terms of um, aggressively, passionately urging the state of Maryland to move towards adopting paid sick days. And so um, in order to ensure that that momentum uh, stayed up and was high and, 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 and honestly to ensure that those individuals who you know may have been in the middle um, and uh, were uneasy about their particular vote, um, a lot of work was put into educating them and bringing them um, to the right side. So these things included, you know, protests and rallies in their district. It included having kids show up with capes um, and, you know, uh, appearing as superheroes and having the legislators appear as superheroes to say, you've, you know, saved our family from you know, turmoil and economic instability by providing access to this, all the way up to things like having, you know, someone from the Obama administration calling senators on the Senate floor to say, you know, please do the right thing. The nation is watching the state of Maryland. And so there's been a lot put in on both the local, state, and national level to educate folks on the issue, but then to also ensure that they were voting the right way. Awesome. Awesome. And so specifically, what has driven you and other advocates to keep trying to get this done? Why didn't you walk away from this issue years ago? So, um, you know, there's a number of different answers to that. So for the Job Opportunities Task Force speaking, JOTF, the reason why we did not walk away from this years ago is because <laughs> JOTF always introduces legislation that takes at least like, you know, three, four, five, maybe more years to pass because we are seeking to eliminate those barriers to employment that you know are not politically sexy. They don't carry a lot of sympathy, um, and it's because it's it's on behalf of a population that you know many tend to forget or many tend to just think that they'll be okay. Um, and so it takes us a very very long time to get the necessary support for many of these initiatives to move uh, workers to economic stability and security. And so in and of itself, JOTF does not give up when we are advocating on behalf of low wage workers and working families in Maryland. Um, the Working Matters Coalition did not give up because we knew that in terms of worker issues, working families issues, labor issues, that this needed to happen. Um, you were seeing that in D.C. and in other states and other localities, you know, this issue was extremely popular and was, you know, being adopted in state and local legislatures. And so it was time for Maryland to get this done. You had, you know, over 700,000 Marylanders who did not have access to paid sick days. And so this is a travesty. How could we not act very forcefully and aggressively to ensure that this was the case. But more personally for me, you know, my background has always been focused on uh, employment barriers for individuals with a criminal record um, in terms of my work at JOTF. And two years ago, I was so swamped with work and I just was not taking care of my body um, that uh, at the end of the 2015 legislative session, um, my body just completely shut down, my immune system shut down, and I end up being uh, diagnosed with walking pneumonia um, and bronchitis all at the same time. And so I was bedridden for up to a month. Um, and it was right then and there where it hit me that, you know, the doctor's only diagnosis was you have these, you know, illnesses and you need to rest, you need to sleep, you need to take care of yourself um, because you have not been. And the last thing that I wanted to have to worry about while I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, 
restore myself back to health is whether or not I'm going to have a job when I get back. And so it became very personal to me. It became very personal to know that I worked for an employer that understood the need to, you know, sometimes you just have to lay. Sometimes you just have to nurse yourself back um, to, to good health. And so for all of those reasons, I mean, it was clear that there's no way we could give up. Absolutely. And I mean, you touched on this a little bit. Uh, you mentioned that this issue doesn't affect people who traditionally politicians care about. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about who benefits from paid sick leave and help us kind of put a face to this issue? Absolutely. So, you know, of course, we talk about low wage workers. We talk about those individuals who um, they may be working full time uh, hours, but um, they may not have access to worker supports and worker benefits. And we know that these jobs are are many. Um, they're not far and few between. Um, they are it's they're very prominent place throughout our economy. And so we know, Job Opportunities Task Force knows that there are so many individuals who, you know, they don't, they can't, um, they don't know when they're going to get sick. They don't know when their child is going to get sick. They don't know when they, you know, are dealing with a domestic violence issue that's going to require them to take maybe a day or two to figure out where they're going to live or how they're going to ensure that their family is protected and away from this aggressor. Um, you know, there are a number of individuals who are impacted by this, whether uh, they be your um, your extremely low wage workers um, who you know are working um, as I said full time hours, but you know still are having to piece together multiple full time jobs or multiple part time jobs to you know be able to uh, make the monies that they need and still don't have access to sick leave. And then God forbid they get sick or a family member gets sick and they don't have the choice of being able to spend a day in the doctor's office or you know stay at home because that's going to mean you know loss of a paycheck or even worse loss of a job um, and so in terms of who this impacts we're talking about you know those individuals who are you know cleaning our stores cleaning our homes um, you know the individuals who are doing the jobs who many of us claim to you know not want to do um, but then there are some mid-level positions that you would be shocked to find that actually do not offer paid sick days or offer strong sick leave policies um, and so, you know, when you look at particularly women, I mean, when you look at particularly women of color, um, we know that single women, um, they're the heads of the households and they tend to be most, um, you know, harmed by uh, lack of sick days and lack of worker benefits and support. So when you're talking about who this impacts, you know, you're talking about, you know, your heads of household, you're talking about your women, you're talking about your low wage um, men. And honestly, you're talking about your people of color, those individuals that, you know, are, um, that have ethnic and racial differences um, that may be dealing with um, any type of like cultural or linguistic um, differences. You know, many of these differences, many of these, um, what many like to call workforce challenges or barriers is what relegate them to the low wage worker category because they're relegated to the low wage worker category. And that means it's okay to not provide them with these necessary benefits and supports like earned sick leave. Sure, sure. And um, over the course of this campaign, you've built a remarkably large, diverse, and durable coalition. So how important has that coalition been to getting the legislature to do the right thing? Right. So, you know, when this issue was first introduced and put before the legislature, it was touted um, or it was framed as kind of like a, um, a liberal white mom soccer mom issue. Um, and so you were finding that... Um, the majority of individuals who were asking for this um, benefit were liberal white women. Uh, and so while that is a very strong constituency, you know, something that is as contentious and controversial as faith sick days requires more than white women to, you know, um, urge uh, urge attention and support. And so it was important to show that this isn't just a liberal female issue. It does not matter who you are, who you look like, where you live, 
you don't know when you're going to get sick. You don't know when a family member is going to, you don't know when some tragedy is going to befall you and you need to take the time to be able to get yourself back on your feet so that you can then return to being that productive worker. And so it was that much important to ensure that there was geographic diversity, that there was racial diversity, that there was, you know, diversity across industries so that, you know, yes, this is a worker issue, but it's also a public health issue. It's also, you know, you have, it's the, um, you had teachers that were coming out in mass to support this because you can't keep sending sick kids to school to get other sick kids to school. And parents are gonna send their sick kids to school because they're like, look, I can't risk a paycheck or my job to, to not send you to school and for me to stay home with you. That's just not an option. And so in terms of representation of the coalition, it ran the gamut because that is what was necessary to show the face of the low wage worker or the worker who needed access to this very important benefit. Perfect. So, I mean, you spoke to the strengths of the coalition there in influencing the legislature to do the right thing, which they eventually did, Mm -hmm. uh, but then the measure was vetoed by Governor Larry Hogan. Mm -hmm. How did your coalition react to the governor's veto? So, the coalition, we, the Working Matters Coalition, we were not, uh, we weren't shocked that the governor vetoed uh, the legislation. Um, He had already introduced his own quote-unquote common sense sick leave legislation. Um, He had all, you know, there were already a number of indicators um, that he was not a fan of the coalition's um, legislation that had been before the legislature for like years upon years upon years. Um, So we were not shocked. But there was a piece of the coalition who, you know, we were holding out on the fact that maybe he won't veto it because this is a governor who actually, you know, claims to care about jobs and workers and ensuring that folks can secure and stay in jobs. Um, so he gets the whole jobs piece. But this is also a governor who had to rely on, you know, his own version of sick leave when he had a health scare um, and how, you know, what was necessary to ensure that he could nurse himself back to health so that he could get back to being um, the steward and the leader of the state. Um, and so there was a piece of us that was like, oh, no, but maybe he gets it a little bit and understands. And then we we're like, oh, just kidding. We might have been a little bit naive. So. You know, it was it was a shocker, but it wasn't too much of a shocker because we were just like, mm, I mean, kind of knew it was going to happen, but sucks that it happened because how are you going to veto sick leave and you just use sick leave? Right. <laughs> it just right. doesn't. <laughs> like, what? And yeah. I mean, uh, when the governor did veto the bill, he established a work group on the issue uh, mm-hmm. in the Department of Labor License mm-hmm. and Regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, gubernatorial work groups typically have public meetings around the state to get public feedback. Sure. Um, so I assume they would be doing the same thing with sick leave. Have you and other advocates had the opportunity to testify in front of that work group? Key operative word is assume. <laughs> um, and so, you know, when you ask... Uh, what's going on with the task force or, you know, have you all been able to engage or, you know, for example, for the task force, the first, you know, answer that comes to my mind is a question, which is like, what task force? Um, I mean, yes, the governor stood before, you know, the media and announced that there was going to be this task force on paid leave policy in Maryland, but literally what task force has been shrouded in secrecy, 
you know, the advocates and stakeholders are unaware of meetings, any research that's been done to even figure out what this policy is going to look like. Huh. It's stacked with political appointees, mostly folks from his cabinet or folks who are pretty much on the same page as him. All we pretty much know is that a report is going to be issued in December on what sick leave should look like in Maryland. Even though there are a number of key stakeholders around the state that included, you know, small businesses, workforce um, advocates, policymakers, faith-based leaders, community-based institutions, whoever, that have come together for the past five years to figure out what the best policy would look like for the state of Maryland. But yet the governor is like, no, actually we think we could do it better. And how we're going to do it better is if we're actually not going to tell you what we're doing, nor when we're doing it, nor how we're going to do it, but we're going to release something in December telling you how we're going to do it, when we're going to do it, and why we're going to do it. And so we're just supposed to excitedly, you know, wait for that and so we're just waiting for it while we gear up to override his veto and you mentioned small businesses in there mm -hmm. as part of your coalition um, myself and many other Marylanders read recently that governor uh, the governor's team attended an exclusive retreat hosted by the Chamber of Commerce mm -hmm. where they encouraged business leaders to actually push back hard against sick leave um, so that it would not come up again next session uh, is sick leave really bad for businesses you know, that's one of those uh, red herrings that misnomer that you'll hear. Um, uh, whenever there's an, whenever there is an effort to eliminate employment barriers for workers to be able to access higher wages or to be able to access greater economic stability, mobility, and security, you always hear that it's bad for business, particularly small businesses. But we found that there were a number of small businesses that actually were eager to support this effort because they already provided to their employees and um they're you know they don't have massive turnover you know the productivity of their employees or their business has not plummeted um actually it encourages their employees to want to invest more in their business it, it 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 shows that the business is actually invested in the employees so we had a number of small businesses you know, that were um, excited to talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and how it has not impacted their bottom line. Moreover, if you look at other states and localities such as DC and, you know, other places, San Francisco and others, that have done this, and you find that it has not resulted in job loss, it has not resulted in, you know, um, uh, local economies or state economies just completely um, just, you know, collapsing. Actually, it's shown positive job growth. It's actually shown, um, you know, a number of positives in terms of uh, what these types of um, what these types of policies can do for the benefit of workers and businesses. Great. And I mean, speaking to the popularity specifically of paid sick leave there, as you mentioned, um, the Working Matters Coalition released a poll earlier this month that shows 74% of Marylanders support sick leave. Uh, and nearly 60% of Marylanders want the legislature to override Governor Hogan's veto when they come back. Mm -hmm. uh, so it seems like an override should be a no-brainer for the legislature, but these things are never easy. So are you and your uh, coalition prepared for a tough fight this January? To be clear, any and everything that seems like a no-brainer is not a no-brainer when it comes to Annapolis. Um, so it's a no-brainer up until we have to get to Annapolis, and then it becomes a no-brainer, um, and then it no longer becomes a no-brainer. Um, so we are confident, while we're very confident, um, we are still we're cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, the 2018 legislative session presents a number of dynamics um, that everyone should be concerned about. Um, the uh, chief one um, is that it's an election year, and so you have um, almost every legislator who is looking to either um, be reelected or advance to some higher position. And so things like veto overrides are contentious. 
um, you know, emotional issues. You know, folks get nervous, they get scared, they get, you know, scared, they get anxious, and unfortunately, the logic goes all out of, you know, goes out the window. And so, um, we're cautiously optimistic that those uh, lawmakers who voted yes, who voted green to pass it out of the General Assembly, um, will vote yes to override the veto. Uh, but we cannot take anything for granted, which is why we're working, you know, we're working like hell to make sure that we're connecting with each and every one of our legislators um, to encourage them, to thank them, to um, be supportive of them, to ensure that you made the right choice the first time, um, carry it through again the second time. Your voters won't forget it. Um, your constituents won't forget it. And quite honestly, Maryland working families won't forget it. Um, so uh, we're nervous, but we're excited. Um, we're cautiously optimistic. Um, and, you know, we're just looking at it like if, if, you know, the state of Maryland, as Governor Hogan likes to say, is open for business, then open for business means um, providing uh, opportunities for those workers at those businesses to be able to survive and be productive. Great. Well, again, Karen, thank you for your time. You. Uh, this has been a remarkably informative conversation. Thank you. And thank we you. wish you and fellow advocates the best of luck in overriding Larry Hogan's veto. Yay. Thanks. You can join us again in two weeks for another episode of Our Maryland's Politics and Policy podcast. But in the meantime, you can also keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and on our website at OurMaryland.us. Mm -hmm.